Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Everywhere you go, we're back in tier three. All the pubs are closed for me, and the country has gone to shit. Welcome to episode sixty of the Scott Gibson uh, Show. I am Scott Gibson. Who else would be talking to you on this podcast? Uh, as always. I hope you're safe and well. I hope you are. Sa- I hope if you're listening to this, if my voice, if the sound of my tonsils vibrating are inside your eardrums, I hope you're fucking safe and well. You know, if you're looking at my big heat on YouTube, I hope you're safe and well. That's all we can hope for as we hurtle towards Christmas, eh? Huh? A time when we remember the true meaning of Christmas. Um, and, and that's sometimes, uh, children are born in stables, is the true, is the true, it's the true Christmas message, you know, uh, childbirth has become too, too easy, it's too westernised, you know, uh, now mothers, you can check into 20, 30,000 pound a night suites, and, uh, and fancy private hotels in, 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 in London town, you know. You could you could fart out away and with, with a butler standing there, you know, taking away, fucking the jet wash them, uh, put it in the, the finest uh, baby gap Gucci attire, you know, and then you fucking enjoy a, a Michelin star meal while watching Netflix from the comfort of your orthopedic bed. When the uh, when you know when the fucking our Lord God and Savior. Sweet baby Jesus, born in a stable, for the love of God, a fucking stable, you know, I was watching a programme the other night, uh, comedians in cars getting coffee, I was watching an old one, I was watching the Larry David episode, uh, and he, he he wouldn't even open a, a bin, and he had a, a napkin that he had to put into a bin, and he wouldn't even open the lid of a bin, because he thought it was disgusting, and fucking Jesus is born in a stable! I don't even know if I've ever been in a stable. You know? Uh, not, not, I don't imagine, I don't imagine a stable today 
as a place uh, for a child to be born, let alone two thousand years ago. You know, I can only I can only imagine the uh, the horrific scenes of a stable back then. Now, listen, I imagine the uh, the innkeep in Beth in Bethlehem again. Never been to Bethlehem. Uh, I don't think it's changed much since uh, since those days. I mean, why 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 fix it? You know. Sometimes people like the nostalgia of these things. If if I had a hotel that the son of God was born in, would I change it? Probably not. Probably not. I'd leave it the same way, you know? I'd have I'd have family members, I'd have, have sons, sons and daughters, I'd have I'd have my my children going, Dad, we need to upgrade this place. You know, we're not getting the trade anymore. There's fucking Airbnbs opening all over Bethlehem. We're just we're just no drawing the punters now. You know, there's new religions, there's different gods, we're getting atheists coming through here, we really need to upgrade the rooms, going, listen, just trust your old man, the son of God was born in that stable, leave it the fucking way it is. Um, why we've gone down this tangent, I've absolutely no idea, but welcome. Episode 60, 60 episodes deep, um, we we find ourselves now in a situation where um still the uh, the the destiny of of the country is uh, appears rudderless as we as we cough and splutter away at europe um uh, who knew that the uh, the fisheries were such a hot potato uh, in the european market uh, oddly you know in, in a country where other than battered most people wouldn't know what to do with a fish you know Possibly you put it in those kind of nuclear orange breadcrumbs and call it special. Is it special? I have no idea. But uh, it's kicking off for the fisheries. You know, I've said this before. This is how we fix Europe. We go to Peterhead. We get a couple of trollermen, a couple of coked up, ex-heroin addict, fucking wife beater, racist trollermen. We send them to Brussels. We say to Spain, France, to anybody in the European Union, bring your strongest, maddest, mentalist fishermen to Brussels, fight to the death, and then when Peter Heed rip the fucking hearts out of Spanish fishermen, then we say, not only are European waters now ours, every fish in the Cunton Sea belongs to the trollmen of Peterhead, and if you pull a fish from the sea, You've got to take it to them and ask if you can keep it. If it dies or rots in the way, so be it. That's how you solve Europe. But in the time since we have last spoken uh, on the podcast, um, we've obviously had the uh, vaccination. Vaccination. Everybody's spirits were lifted. You know, we thought to ourselves, hey, we're fucking on the road to recovery. The road to recovery. And uh, then, a mere 48 hours after that, turns out that some people are having adverse reactions to the uh, to the vaccine. Almost as well, if you do notice, that when those news stories broke, that uh, people who have extreme allergies or are allergic to anything, and they just claimed anything, should not get the vaccine because of the problems that it may cause. Never heard another story about that again. Interesting that, isn't it? And then we find ourselves another couple of days down the road, and now it turns out there is a, a fucking super mutated strand of the virus. Eh? In the name of fuck! Now, we all know I love a conspiracy theory here. Is it possible that we simply cannot continue with the level of fear that we have had in previous months? into a new year is it possible that the government is fully aware that maybe come march of april into 2021 that is the cutoff point a calendar year is the cutoff point where i imagine most people and when i say most people i mean sane people i mean people like myself who wear a mask who socially distance who don't you know, go to places they shouldn't go to, they don't mix with other households, families, I don't see anyone, I talk to friends over Zoom. People like myself, like you, good people who listen to this podcast, I think the government's came to the realisation that they have until March either to end this or to be very close to ending it. Otherwise, 
most people will go, I am done. I am done. You've had a year, I am fucking done. And go back to normal. Go back to mixing. Go back to just opening up businesses. Pubs been told they can't open. Too late. We're opening. And that's it. I imagine most people in their heads, given 12 months of this, the fact that the government in Scotland, Westminster and Holyrood, has been unable to take control of this pandemic in a year, I think that's people done. So, is it possible that another fear story has to be created in order to extend that time frame? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I don't know. Could be very well real. Could be very well real. It could be that we don't understand virology. It could well be that most viruses do mutate, do extend at a different strand. That could well be the case. And nothing severe, nothing major comes from it. But again, that doesn't make a good news story. You know, no news is not good news when it comes to the news. So if somebody comes and goes, uh, listen, we've got a story that there's a fucking mutation of the virus. Uh, listen, that's we know that most viruses tend to mutate during their lifetime. It's, it's fine. There's no, there's no great risk to the public of anything. It, it doesn't really impact on the situation at all. Right, but that that's not really a story. I mean, if we if we just run with the headline, you know, get fear gone, get people buying toilet rolls again, keep the economy moving, the world spins, make lizards happy. I, uh, I really don't know what's going on, man. It seems to be a bit of a situation in, in London as well, and it seems as though the uh, the national conversation is uh, switching back to London again, which would be uh, which would be a good thing because what that would tell us is that we are starting to move back to the old life, to our old normality, because obviously anybody who lives in a city that isn't London in the UK knows that almost 99% of all news covering is London. Effectively, if you don't live in London, you don't really exist, according to the BBC. So now that we are moving the national conversation back towards London and the catastrophic fuck-up that is the tiered system in London is insane. The fact that Glasgow can be locked down, Edinburgh can be locked down, Dundee, Aberdeen, Manchester cities, but London itself is split into the boroughs. Now you can argue the size of London, the volume of people that are in there, but then surely that is just an argument that supports the fact that the whole city of London should be locked down to the most severe tier. Pretty much, if you're in London, don't leave your fucking house, should be the response. The other day, uh, I don't know if you saw the map, you may have seen it on BBC News, but some other news outlets as well that's putting it on, and it was showing you the different tiers in which different boroughs will go into. You effectively could go in the tube in London, the underground, and travel through a tier two to a tier four, you know? And, and I mean, that in itself is fucking mind-blowing. The fact that we are almost a year down the line, and not only are we still talking about this, that we are still dragging this fucking on, man. It's insane. I saw today that there's there's apparently schools, I believe it was Greenwich, it could be another part of London, they've been told that schools should be closing and the, the, the schools are refusing to close and that the government have to step in. Holland, the great country of Holland, which if, if there is a God listening, please just let me live in Amsterdam. Holland along with Germany are, are, are re-entering a lockdown structure. Germany, I believe either the most severe lockdown or certainly since their initial lockdown, both of which the very first thing they did was close schools. Holland has closed all schools, Germany has closed their schools because the, the spread of the virus has taken such a dramatic lift over the last couple of weeks. Also, there was data that came out to say that even in London itself, the, 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 the reason why there could be such a spread in London is because of children. The reason why the rate of infection has increased dramatically in London, they believe, is because of children. Because children can't be controlled. You know, teenagers, they're still getting stuck out the house. They're mixing with different households. They're mixing with, you know, you could mix with 10. If you meet up with 10 of your pals, as you did when you were 14, 15, that's 10 different households. You, who knows what in contact and what's been spread? Who knows? 
Holland, Germany, shut down the schools. Us, don't shut down the schools. Keep it going. But shut down a pub or a small independent business. I don't want to keep going. I, even when I'm speaking, I can feel myself going, I'm ranting and getting angry about the same stuff and it's never going to change. How often have we spoke about things in the past from the in the fucking UK government and we know it's never going to change. This is never going to change. We are going to be, the United Kingdom is going to be the last country out of lockdown. That's how fucked up our leadership is. We're going to be the first country to introduce the vaccine and the last country to come out of lockdown. I have spent the tail end of last week and again today moving almost, and I'm, I'm, I should have it in front of me actually here. Um, I have got four venues left that we're waiting on a date for. I have had to move January, February, March and April. The first four months of next year have had to be moved back, further back into 2021, because venues themselves not only have had no guidance from the government, don't understand or don't know when they'll be able to open. And even if they do open, they don't know when they're going to be in a position to function at full capacity again, or at a, a level that is able for them to be open and for a show to go on, you know, because there's obviously costs involved in these things as well, and this is this is another thing that's concerning about, you know, my industry, about comedy and about live performance and shows, we, we've all got to pay VAT, right, so you've got to pay VAT, we pay VAT and everything, we pay VAT on the venues, VAT on your tickets, the there'll then be a split on your ticket sales, right, which is usually 70-30, sometimes it's 80-20, depends on venue-venue, but you've got a split, so you get a percentage off that. There's obviously a certain percentage that you have to work in as a performer. And if you have gone from a venue that can take 200 to suddenly taking 40, that not only is that not feasible for you to, to do as a show, it's not feasible for them because by the time they pay their staff, you know, they're running at a loss and the longer this goes on, like for example, I, I spoke to a venue um, on Monday and the conversation was along the lines of we're happy for it to go ahead at the moment and this is a gig in April, right? This was a date in April in the diary and the conversation was that the venue is happy for the date to remain, however, they're unable to put tickets on sale at the moment and they can't give me a date when the tickets can go on sale. They have been told they won't be allowed back in the theatre till February. So say the earliest the tickets go on sale in February, right? Even then, they still don't know what the capacity of the venue is going to be. So you're, you're just continuing to deal with this uncertainty that even though we do feel as if we're starting to get closer to the end, the conversation around the tier structure in London and this new strand of COVID, it's just making me think we're, we're, we're so far from this being over, it's unreal this is the beginning of the end, not the end of the beginning so I've, I've no idea what's going to happen all, all I can hope is that oh, do you know what, all I keep thinking is there's there's no way in hell that lockdown can still exist come June it, it, it physically cannot happen because you're just going to have so many people out for the football. It physically can't happen. Like, it's not even if, if the government goes, right, we're all locked in again. People will be like, no, well, no, end of. There's fucking 200,000 people going to Hamden. End of discussion. Jail is all, fine is all. Who cares? It's mad to think that we, we're still going to be doing, dealing with this in March, and it's mad to think that we will be one full calendar year dealing with a global pandemic. It is fucking insane. So according to this, um, as the podcast comes out, this will have happened. Um, it's saying that London, most of Essex and part of Hertfordshire uh, will join Tier 3 uh, on Wednesday morning. Actually, on Tuesday night, um, at one minute past midnight. Again, why that makes a difference, I have no idea. But one minute past midnight on Tuesday, Wednesday morning, uh, London goes into Tier 3. That basically means... They're in the same tier structures. What most of us find ourselves in just now. Um, the health secretary uh, said action was needed to slow a spike in cases. Um, we've got to trust the British... Sorry, hold on. 
Am I, am I, have I got the right story? I do have the right story. Um, number 10 said it would need to review Christmas rules, but people have been urged to keep social contact to a minimum during the festive period. We've got to trust the British people to act responsibly, which you cannot do. Which you cannot do. Uh, and do the minimum that is possible for them in their family situation. Cabinet Minister Stephen Bartlett told BBC Breakfast he warned that the five-day easing of restrictions over Christmas should not be misinterpreted, adding it's not that the restrictions are being lifted in their entirety. We're not going from Tier 3 to some sort of Tier 0. But that is what a lot of people think. That is what a lot of people think because a lot of people cannot see the difference between being told we are easing restrictions. So what does that mean? Well, it means that you can go and mix with your family. Of course, those five days over Christmas, all fucking bets are off. People are going to do whatever they want. Now, they're not going to be able to go to the pubs, things like because they're closed. But they are going to mix in large numbers. They're going to travel from house to house. They're going to go and visit granny, then visit the in-laws, then visit their parents, then visit their best pals, have the kids in, then boxing. Day. That's going to happen. So like I've said before, either the R number goes through the roof, infection rate rise and deaths go mental or nothing fucking happens. In which case, both of those situations, the government's got a huge problem in their hands. The areas moving from tier 3 mean a further 10.8 million people will be in the top tier with 61% of England's population or 34 million people under the toughest restrictions from Wednesday. Again, the wording in this is very scaremongering. It's fear 34 million people under the toughest restrictions. It's what we're in the new. The toughest restrictions are don't mix hussies in the pub shot. That's the fucking restrictions. It's, it just, it's just continuing on, continuing on. And like I said, nothing, nothing is being. It feels like nothing's been done, you know. Excuse me, and it's, it's worrying, man. It really is worrying because, I mean, I've talked about it before. I, I, you know, I'm struggling, but I'm, I'm surviving. The sense I'm just, I'm just, I'm getting by, right? I'm, I can still pay my rent, and I'm just struggling. I'm just getting by. There are thousands of hundreds of thousands of people probably who are not just getting by. I saw a thing the other day, a, a fucking poor woman, a single mother, had to get a homeless shelter, and she was documenting the the absolute horrific situation she was placed in this homeless shelter with an eight-month-old baby, and, and, and desperate to try and get the council to find her a home. And it, it, it just think it just becomes another person who, you know, is just a number, or, or who's lost into a system now, because she finds herself in a situation where... She loses a job because maybe it's a job that can't open or it doesn't need to continue or it's, you know, a business owner that thinks, fuck it, right? You know, every man for their cell, they're on their own. Just this this year has been horrendous, man. It's a year I, n I never thought I would ever experience anything like this. It certainly has made me value stuff a lot more, you know? And whether it's because it's Christmas, maybe you're, we're thinking about these things, but I've said it before, man, if I can get, if I can get through this year and I can get through this lockdown, and I can get back to work again, back to touring, and back to earning, you know, earning a living, this will be the biggest thing that I've got through ever, man, because it's been fucking brutal, it's been fucking brutal, and as we continue to watch the news, and see how things are handled, it just it just makes me, it, oh, oh, do you know what, I never thought I'd say this, it actually makes me no one to live in this country anymore, it, it wasn't until I was watching the... I watched a thing on Channel 4 News and it was talking about Germany and how it closed the schools. And then I read an article as well about Holland, like I said a minute ago. I mean, I never moved to Germany, you know what I mean? But it, I'm, ju I'm just looking at the way some countries are dealing with this and the way that some countries handle the situation. Not not, not with strength, you know, not in the, not with fear, but they just handle it. They're, they're like, we are the government, we're elected officials... This is the decision, and we're in charge. The infection rate is increasing. The death cases are increasing. We are closing down schools. We are closing down businesses. But then, like Holland, and Germany and France and other parts of Europe that are dealing with this a bit more stricter, they don't have 
the same fear-mongering media that we have in this country. So it's just a, it's a vicious spread. It's a vicious, vicious spread. So it bloody is. God knows what's going to happen. Get London in tier five. Create a new tier. Lock the fuckers down. If we get to March and we're still in this, it's time for Sturgeon to grow a pair of balls, build a fucking wall and just go alone. The border is shut. Nothing comes in. Nothing goes out. Anybody's like, but what if we can't get any supplies? We'll live on potato scones and tablet for the next fucking year and a half to become self-efficient. I just, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just angry. I'm still pushing gigs back. I said I worked hard to get that diary in place, and now it's just getting pushed back. Fucking nightmare, man. Fucking nightmare. Like a, a few of you, I imagine. Watch the uh, watch the Joshua fight the weekend. AJ. Um. Yeah, no, nah, it was good. It was good. It was, uh, I was going to say it was nice to see you. I was going to say it was nice to see somebody get knocked out. And obviously a professional sporting context. If I wanted to see somebody get knocked out, I could just go down to Leith Walk on a, a Saturday evening. But um, it was good. It was a good fight. The undercard was pretty decent. The fight before the Joshua fight, I don't know the guy's name. I should remember his name. But um, the boy who he was fighting... Sometimes you, if you watch the boxing a lot, you'll see it where in the undercards, it sometimes becomes quite regular that people will drop out at the last minute through injury or whatnot. And uh, obviously they don't want to lose a position on the bill, you know. And uh, I don't know if people still get paid if they drop out. I imagine they don't. Um, so they fell at quite short notice. And this, this, this guy, this guy. Oh my God. When, when I saw him in the ring... He looked like a boxer. But then when the fight started, you could tell, in the name of the wee man, he got hit. The the boy, the English boy hit him and they uh, caught him in the temple, as the commentator said. And uh, he reacted. I've never seen a boxer react like it in all the years that I've watched boxing. It looks like he was being electrocuted. He was, he was shaking like that. What's it called? It was the oddest thing. And the very first time it happened, I, I thought... <laughs> I thought you need to stop the fight. I actually thought he'd been paralysed or something. I generally thought he's just, it's one of those things that you hear like people have a fight in the street and they just punch somebody once and they die. That's what I thought I was watching. I thought I was watching a man and his body was shutting down. It was the strangest thing ever and the ref allowed the fight to go on and even the commentator was like, how is this guy allowing this to continue? And uh, eventually at the end, he caught him another time, gave him the same thing with the reaction and the third time he caught him, his whole body's just violently shaking as if it's as if he's been electrocuted. And he stopped to fight. But uh Joshua fight. It was good and it was bad. It was good in that I finally got me seeing knock somebody out. We've not seen that for quite some time. Knock knock somebody out well, because even when he put Ruiz down, he never knocked Ruiz out. Uh but poor lad gets sparkled. Um again, I don't know I, I know enough about boxing to know the players at the, at the top end, I enjoy the heavyweight stuff. The, the lower down weight divisions, I'm not really a big fan. I like the big boys slugging it out. Um, I'd listened to a, a boxing podcast a couple of days before the fight and it was talking about Pouliev and it was talking about Johnson, um, Johnson, Anthony Joshua. And it was interesting to see the way that they spoke about them and the way in which it was covered in Sky Sports. And I don't think the fight really went the way it was covered. Um, I, I was expecting a lot more from Pulev. Uh, I was expecting it to be a bit more interesting. And I think it was just one-way traffic, really, the whole thing. Um, but it's really just, it feels... Everything in there feels like it's just uh, lip service, almost, if you want, if I want a better phrase. Until Joshua fights... Um, Tyson Fury. I've I've got no real interest, if I'm being totally honest with you. I, I just think that again, I, I never lived through the era of Mike Tyson or um, Muhammad Ali, so I don't know what it was like back then. It could have been completely different, but it feels as if Mike Tyson fought everybody in his era. 
there's never been a discussion of about Mike Tyson never fought A and B and they could have beat him and they could have been great. He fought everybody. Muhammad Ali fought everybody. Anybody who was a challenger, Muhammad Ali fought them. And right now it seems as if Joshua has been built up to be this almost bigger than boxing. This this wonderful advocate for the sport, wonderful speaker, a great role model, and a, and a businessman, a man who makes money at a product. And you have two people in Deontay Wilder, and I know that Tyson Fury destroyed Wilder. The first fight, obviously, is comeback. The famous sitting up in the 12th round, but the second fight, Tyson destroys him, man. Like, literally destroys him. I would still like to see AJ fight Deontay Wilder, but I want to see him fight Tyson Fury. And I don't think... Joshua has has amassed more money than any man could spend in 10 lifetimes. Anthony Joshua would never need to fight again. Same with Tyson Fury and same with Deontay Wilder. They'd never need to fight again and they could live you know, a king's life for the rest of their, their days. But surely there comes a point where your legacy or, or your, your worth as a, a fighter, as an athlete, outweighs that money. And you must think to yourself, I don't want to retire and there being any doubt in people's minds that I was the greatest fighter of all time or of my generation. That's what I would think, you know? And I think if Joshua doesn't fight Fury, that's that's the way it's going to be. You know, there'll always be those doubts whether or not he was actually a great fighter, rightly or wrongly. I think even if he waits another two or three years, there'll be those doubts, just like uh, Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather. When that fight finally happened, that should have happened four or five years before it did. So I just hope in 2021 we get to see Anthony Joshua fighting Tyson Fury, and that is going to be unbelievable. That'll be one of the greatest, not only the greatest nights of boxing in the history of the sport, that's going to be one of the biggest sporting events in, in, the, in the history of mankind. That's going to be unbelievable. And then who wins? For for me, honestly, I think I think Tyson Fury beats him. I really do. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I think Joshua, he's an incredible athlete. He's a, he's a great boxer. I don't think anybody can deny that. I think there's just something about the Ruiz loss that has taken the kind of shine off it and just makes me, it, it makes me see him as a fighter in a different light now. Uh, it's made you almost dislike Eddie Hearn even more, and that the idea of trying to, you know, the 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 whole point of defending the the no losses was more important than the. They kept talking about legacy and building this legacy, and I'm like, just make the fights, man, just make the fights. I I, I would like it to happen in the UK. I've got a feeling that would be an Abu Dhabi one because it's just money. You know, at that point, it's just money. And listen, if it if it means the fight happens in Abu Dhabi, we get to see the fight. I don't care. Just let the fight happen. Um. But hopefully that comes in 2021. Hopefully it comes no later than the summer. You know, the first six months. Um, because then you might get a second one out before the end of the year as well. And hopefully that fight happens soon. But one thing that I did see, um, speaking of fighting, that came up was this absolute... Now, I, I don't know anything about the guy, right? The guy, he might be... You know, he might be a, a nice... A nice a nice guy. I mean, I, I generally don't know anything about him. Um, and is this guy Jake Paul? No, I, I, like I said, not only did I not know anything about him, I, I, I don't know what he does. I understand he's a YouTube star. Whatever the fuck that means. Um, I've never, I've never watched any of his videos. I don't even know what his videos are. I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's a, a podcaster. A comed- I don't know what he is. But I am seeing this name uh, bandied everywhere now. He had a, he had a fight recently. Uh, in which the, in which he beat somebody uh, a boxing match, and now it seems as if, and again, a lot of this is just hype and promo and get your name out there and get people talking. But it seems as if now he's called out Floyd Mayweather, and uh, he's also called out uh, Conor McGregor. And you may have seen this, and uh, the difference is Floyd Floyd Mayweather, I think, would definitely want to to have the fight because he just wants money. But I think you're you're dicing with death. Uh, taking on Conor McGregor, because I think Conor McGregor would just turn up at your front door and, and break your job. But um, the headline reads, Jake Paul calls out Conor McGregor and insults his fiancée during bizarre 50 million 
fight offer. I mean, just look at that picture. Anybody who has those kind of glasses that, that fold up like that, you would not tire a punch in that mouth. It just looks like a wee dick, you know, it looks like a total wee dick. And again, a very odd story. Uh, I don't know if it's just a guy who has got a death wish, but to call it one of the most dangerous people in MMA and call him McGregor is, is insane. Uh, the article here is saying that the YouTuber uh, is desperately trying to arrange a fight with Conor McGregor following his knockout win over ex-NBA player Nate Robinson last month. 23-year-old took to social media to call out the Irishman and offered him a whopping 50 million US dollars uh, to step inside the ring with him. But Nate Diaz, uh, also the uh, or UFC, has told Paul to stay in his lane and keep his mouth shut. On Twitter, the fellow UFC star, this is, this is Nate Diaz, uh, Jake Paul, you need your ass beat for free, you spoiled fuck. <laughs> yes! This is the difference between calling out people who are in the UFC as opposed to like ex-NBA players or, or ex-professional boxers because these guys are no mess about. Um, so I'm going to read that again. Nate Diaz responds with Jake Paul, you need your ass beat. Ass, obviously. Uh, for free, you spoiled fuck. You can't really fight dumb shit you're going to end up with your ass whooped for real uh, somewhere talking like that I mean Nate, Nate Diaz is obviously not known for his uh, you know conversations the warning was issued after Paul made derogatory comments about McGregor's fiance Dee Devlin uh, that was the only thing he said during the bizarre video he said good morning Conor McGregor I know you are probably beating up old dudes in a bar right now okay strong start or maybe you're jacking off because you're sick of fucking your wife right now because she is a four. Wow. <laughs> I mean, st strong opening statement. You know, strong opening statement. Uh, he goes on to say, Connor, you should do a lot better, but happy Monday. My team sent you a $50 million offer this morning. $50 million cash, proof of funds, the biggest fight offer you've you've ever been offered. You are scared to fight me, Connor. You are ducking me because you don't want to lose to a fucking YouTuber. You are at 0-1 as a boxer. I'm 2-0 as a boxer. I just came off the 8th biggest pay-per-view event in history, but you want to fight Dustin Prober, who has less followers than on Instagram than my fucking dog. That's a fact. In the same video, Paul turns his attention to UFC president Dana White. Dana White, you're a fucking pussy too, you ugly fucking bald bitch. This wee guy needs help, man. This 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 guy's mentally ill. <laughs> this is the uh, this this is nothing about him becoming a boxer. This this is a cry for help. This is a man who's clearly on the brink of a complete nervous breakdown. For listen, if he wants if he wants a fucking leathering for fifty million dollars, I'm pretty sure you could find an, enough people to come and kick fuck at you. You don't need to go after Conor McGregor and Dana White. Again, it's that it's that attitude of, you know, he who cries loudest, or if you act like a cunt, people will pay attention to you. And and the truth is, those are the people in life who really do get ahead. It's not people who are nice and you know look after folk. It's the fucking assholes that get ahead. So why not commit? He's a young man as well. I don't know how old he is. I imagine early twenties. You know, multi-millionaire for being on YouTube for doing fuck all. Probably having no skill or talent. He thinks the world's his oyster. He said two fights in boxing and he's had two wins. And now he thinks he's great. And he's going to take on Conor McGregor. I sincerely hope Conor McGregor takes it. If he was that interested, I'd say, you think you're a hard man? Come and fight me in UFC then. Let's know if a boxing match. I'll take your 50 million. And I hope Conor McGregor fucking detaches his spine from his body. That's what I would do. I mean, again... $50 million to us is a ridiculous sum of money. To Conor McGregor, I imagine it's a tasty payday. I don't imagine it's going to rock the boat too much. But I hope he takes it. I hope he fucking levels <laughs> up. Imagine saying Conor McGregor, you're a fucking pussy. Oh, man, this wee guy needs help. Uh, he, 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 this goes on and on and on. You say there is a 0% chance of this fight happening, but there is a 0% chance of you getting some fucking pussy. Wow. Connor, you're scared. Dana, you're scared. Sign the fucking contract, you idiots. Jesus fucking Christ, Irish bitch, is what he ends with. 
Wow. I mean that that is uh, that is escalated. I did not think it would it go the way this. It appears to be in the video that he's sitting in some kind of Lamborghini sports car with a cigar and uh, a glass of of whiskey. I think again, this young gentleman needs help. There, there, there are a few. I mean, the thing that is because these people have so much money, they live in a world where you're almost conditioned to believe that if you have enough money, anything really can happen. And and f it seems as if this Jake Paul character, because he has a character, right? He just wants to be famous. He just wants to be, you know, in everybody's mind. Everyone to know his name. Everybody be speaking about him. And he thinks he can do that by money. I mean, one or two things would be good. One, everybody just completely ignores him now. So eventually he just dies away, just dwindles off. Or somebody like Conor McGregor actually takes his money and fucking destroys him. Not just beats him in a ring, like fucking puts him in hospital. You know, affects his life. People of this make me sick, man. Imagine if that was the way that things work. You just... You want something done, so you go on, insult the man's fiancé and call his boss a fucking <laughs> Sign the fucking contract. It's 50 fucking million. It's the biggest payday you've ever had. You're a fucking conscious. You're Irish bastard. I hope, I hope 2021, we get back to gigging. I hope Conor McGregor breaks the jaw of uh, Jake Paul. And I hope we get to see at least one Joshua Fury fight. That would be... That would be a relatively good way for 2021 to apologise for the horror of 2020. That would be a relative good start. I saw this. Uh, I saw this coming up on the news. I've actually seen it before, uh, and some of you may have noticed this as well. And it's about the uh, the Banksy that has appeared on uh, someone's house, and the the. This article is about that the, the sellers have now pulled out of the sale of the house because the, the Banksy has appeared on it. And from what I can understand from, from reading some of the news articles anyway, is that the house is now valued at £5 million because of the Banksy. Surely if, if, if it is that valuable, you just take the fucking wall down. You could put... Elon Musk can invent a battery that lasts seven years, can build a fucking space shuttle in the desert and send people into space... You're telling me there isn't a fucking builder somewhere that can come along and take the rough casting off the side of that house so you can sell the Banksy? Who gives a fuck about I'm, I'm, I'm not, Are people not done with Banksy now as well? People not fed up with it? But when I saw this, again, it's just, uh, it's one of those things when I look at it, I'm like, people just either love or moan or they need to get it. 2020, man, you're in the midst of a global pandemic. How many of you right now would fucking love it if suddenly you woke up in the morning and there was a Banksy painted on the side of your fucking house. You would love it. But these people are going, it's the stress that it's brought to this family. Shut up. A woman from Bristol, right, this is where the house is, uh, is pulled out of the sale of her house after a piece of artwork by Banksy appeared overnight. Appeared overnight! You know what we should do? There should be like a lottery. Right, Banksy should do a lottery. It's a pound to buy in. All the money goes to charity. Or Banksy sticks up his nose. I don't care what the fuck he does with And then he'll pick somebody at random. He'll turn up in the middle of the night. And he'll draw a fucking Banksy on your house. And then you can sell your house for 10 million quid. Eileen Mackin uh, was in the process of selling her home for £300,000. And can I just say, the house looks like an absolute shite hole but it's in bristol which is a relatively arty hipster area and these are the house prices we live in uh, but pulled out when an artwork increased the value of a property by 17 times the artwork which was later shared to banks's official instagram account shows an old woman wearing a headscarf bending over and sneezing as her dentures fly out uh, it's located at the bottom of what is believed to be the steepest street in england making it look as though the sneeze has blown the houses over. Mackin, 57, was reportedly due to exchange contracts in the next week. However, she pulled out last minute after learning her home could now potentially be worth as much as £4 million. Let's just, let me just say that again. She's selling it for three hundred grand. She goes to bed. 
everything's fine. Midst the global pandemic, we've still managed to sell the house. Everything's going to be great. And she wakes up to find what I imagine she would describe as graffiti on the house. I don't think for a second she's woke up and went, in the name of God, we've got a Banksy. I imagine she's woke up and went, I can't wait to get out of this street. Some fucker's done graffiti on my wall. I've just sold the house for God's sake. I'm going to have to pay for that now you get taken half. Suddenly Banksy puts on his Twitter, now your house is worth four million quid. How did they make this up? How did they make this up? I mean, who values that? Are they getting Dion Dublin to come in? Bedroom up the stairs, stairs up to the bedroom, banks in the outside, four million pounds. Street art pieces are now sold with uh, authentication by pest control, banks' authentication body. However, with the right province and place, we'd estimate that this be worth in the region of three to five million pounds. Uh, Joe Sayer, founder of My Art Booker. According to Mac and son, Nick, the family have already experienced people climbing on their roof to try and get a closer look at the piece of art. Does it make sense? Does it make sense? Why are they climbing on the roof? The fucking piece of art is on the wall at street level. Stand in the street. You literally could just park your car. First gear, rev the engine, hold it there, get the biting point, sort of hill. Look at the windy as a Banksy, and then fuck off. Why are people climbing the roof? What are they talking about? Uh, they've now f- they've now been forced to get perspex to put over the artwork. None of not. What they've done is again. This is just people talking shit. Like, this is just people doing the whole poor me situation. You know, they've put perspex over it because it's worth fucking up to five million quid. Your shitty looking wee house in a shitty street in Bristol is worth 300 grand, which is still ridiculous. Now it's got a Banksy. So you're doing everything you can to protect it. Gonna get a fuck about people on the roof. Gonna get a fuck about your moss house. The cunt's probably never been in his moss house in years. So you're gonna have to get in here. I've got something called a Banksy on the house. I don't know what's happening. A Banksy, you say? I don't know, my God. I'll bring the pearl specs. The family are also believed to be speaking to security firms about how to protect the piece of art as his mother has been left quite distressed at all the attention. I'm sure she is. She's probably running a knock and shock in the basement or fucking grown hash. You need to get all these people out here, son. We've got fucking 40 grand of hash plants in the fucking loft. Banksy, whose identity remains under wraps, who cares at this point, is believed to be from Bristol himself as that's where much of his earlier work was done. Good for him. Good for Banksy. I think I think we're past Banksy now. I mean, no. Are people still intrigued by it? Are people still interested in Banksy? We've all seen the documentary Exit Through the Gift Shop. Some of this stuff is good, you know? Some of this stuff is, uh, is, is, is kind of is kinda shite, you know? But again, it's like, it's what you think is art. You know? I'm looking at this now and... Is that worth five million? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it is. But then I am not in the art. I am not in the art world. Nor am I in the art game. You know, I like what I like. Who who was it? Was it? Um, God, I can't remember his name now. Gavin Webster. I said, you know, a fan of art. He, he enjoys the picture of the dog playing snooker. That's, that's my kind of art. You know. It would be nice though if you were going to sell your house, and something happened. You discovered something. And suddenly the value goes astronomical. But then who's going to pay five million quid for a for a shitty house in Bristol? Maybe if you had that kind of money, you'd pay five million and knock the house down. That's that's probably likely what's going to happen. Pay the five million, knock the house down, bring the full wall, and then take the wall off to, you know, whatever art gallery in fucking Soho or LA or Singapore. Or wherever it's going to go. Bulldozer the house. That's probably what somebody will do. <laughs> Imagine going to sleep, wake up. Jesus Christ, head, we've got a Banksy. We're rich. <laughs> turns out it's actually just his boy. Imagine it turns out she was Banksy. In the name of God. The mystery. Here's the thing as well. See, even if they came out. Remember they were saying that... Neil Buchanan for Art Attack was Banksy. See if they did come out there and go, listen, here's Banksy, he's real, this is him, he's got to do an interview, tell you. Who cares? 
I'd be like, oh, right, it's him. And what? It's like when the Stig took his helmet off in Top Gear. Who cares? You know? He's a fuck. Good for him. On your cell, Banksy. Lovely stuff. I mean, it would be nice to be kind of a Banksy in the house. You know, only because you could then certainly make a fortune. It'd be like finding Nazi gold or something like that in your loft. You know? Or a, a, a rare book. You'd be like, Jesus Christ, we're fucking loaded. Cancel the sale. Imagine being the person. Imagine being the person who was going to buy that house. You know, imagine being that person who was going to buy that house. If you just got in there a month or two earlier, you could have been sitting with a fucking Banksy on your wall. You'd be devastated. Also, the other way, if you just sold, imagine you just sold it, gave them the keys on the Monday, all the best now, look after it, it's been a great house to us, and then on the Friday they wake up with a Banksy, you would be fucking raging. But now it's just an old woman left to go mental and uh, enjoy her Banksy in peace. Good luck to you, Hen. I hope you get five million for it. And, uh, and just before the, the sale goes through, I imagine Banksy will turn up and spray paint it in red paint. But they've got the Perspex in and the private security firm. Also a dodgy road to go down if you get the private security firm in because you might turn up one day and find out that they've fucked off and so has the gable into your house. But you never know. It's a chance you take. It's a chance you take with fine art. It's the chance you take. Right, team. Odd episode um, for me anyway. Episode 60. Thank you very much for listening. This one has been kind of split up uh, as I've been recording this throughout the day as life has got in the way so it's it's been an odd one to kind of switch in and out of uh, of podcasting mode so apologies if this one has felt a little bit kind of stop starting it's because that's exactly what it has been um, but thank you to everyone who's listening uh, as always if you're not on the Patreon uh, sign up become part of the Patreon best way to support the show only way to access every single episode uh, including the extras and all the special content do that at patreon.com forward slash big scott gibson 86 pence a week man's fucking pennies get on there get involved and uh, treat yourself this christmas you could be that that week between christmas and new year you could sit and listen to all the patreon episodes and uh, thoroughly enjoy yourself so do that right um let's finish up another news story when i saw this i thought this is going to be an absolute beauty uh, i took a note of it and i thought we have to speak about that on the show and the headline is it's one of those headlines that's very simple very beautiful and it gives you a picture of what we're about to discuss and the headline is uh is this woman jumps into ocean to rescue beer kegs during dramatic flooding in australia now look at the picture that is a woman clearly in a dress rescuing two kegs of beer from what looks like flood water if that woman did not emerge from the sea like the god of water herself and receive at least 50 proposals on the spot, there is no love left in the world. I imagine there was a line of hot, red-blooded Australians going, that's the very shiner for me. That's a terrible Australian accent. Woman jumps into the ocean to rescue beer kegs during dramatic flooding in Australia. Uh, some things in life are just worth fighting for. What an opening line that is. Whether it's a job, a relationship, or in the case of one Australian woman, beer kegs. Beaches along the Golden Coast in Queensland were likened to bubble baths as wild seas and strong winds covered the sands in thick blankets of foam with piles re reaching more than a metre high in some areas. Yesterday morning, December 14th, high tide swept across the car park of the Currumbin Beach, Beach Vikings Surf Life Savings Club. What a name for a pub that is. The Currumbin Beach Vikings Surf Life Saving Club. Sending staff members and passers-by scrambling to secure loose items, including beer kegs. Footage shows a woman jumping out of the water to rescue the precious containers. <laughs> this is mental. The video, which I'll post on the socials, 
is uh, is a is a huge wave of water basically crashing over like a kind of concrete bank, which I believe would be the beachfront, rushing up a set of stairs. And uh, this hero, because that's what she is, she's a hero. Not all heroes wear capes. Has rescued one of the most uh, precious things in Australian life, lager. The article goes on to say, Braving the wild waters, the woman waded through the waves to grab the two metal kegs and carry them back to dry land. The new local heroine told Seven News, There's nothing like the ocean, adding, It's pretty spectacular. What a legend. <laughs> the unusual foam filled beaches uh, the unusual foam filled beaches have attracted dozens of tourists and ocean photographers who have come to play in the foam and take pictures of the bizarre site though it has also proved dangerous a number of dogs uh, have also become lost from wandering into the thick substance uh, the foam was expected to wash away the high tide uh, and move back out to see the worst of the weather uh, it's thought to have passed in Queensland that is insane man the the, the picture of her just wading just wading out into the ocean imagine imagine that your first your first thought on seeing just kegs wash away <laughs> I'm just imagining like a couple of old a couple of old the, the woman she's not a young woman right she's uh, she's she's built a big she, 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 woman's body a, a, a fuller figure right no fat a shapely figure let's say that but she looks like the type of woman that, that works in a man's boozer. She doesn't look like the type of woman who works in, you know, it doesn't look as if they've got a cocktail menu in this bar. Let's put it that way, right? That should give you an idea, an image of the establishment we're dealing with here. There is not a cocktail menu in this bar. There is a fair selection of pies available, hot or cold, and some hard lager and liquor. That's it. She's probably watching the waves come in, you know, like, it's getting bloody high here, Jay, fucking didgeridoo. <laughs> Some old guy's like, Sandra, the fucking kegs. She's like, in the name of fuck, Franco. And a big foamy wave comes in and two kegs just wash it. She doesn't, she doesn't stall. She doesn't even think of her own safety. She leaps, you know, Something inside her that tells her, you can do this. Throws herself into the, the dangerous, thick, foamy seawater to rescue two kegs, man. No one keg. No one keg. Two kegs. I've got two hands in her. Two kegs. There, there must have been men in that bar who had never had a, a, a sexual thought, inclination towards the woman. And when she emerged from that soapy sea water, drenched head to toe, with a keg in either hand, they must have thought, she's a goddess. <laughs> I've never seen you this way before, Sandra, but now that I see you soaking wet through, carrying two big kegs, will you marry me? <laughs> Thankfully, uh, safe, safe and sound the woman, and I believe the kegs uh, are up and running, and everything is tickety boo. Uh, good old Aussies, uh, good old Aussies. I always rely on them to be a little bit mental. Imagine just jumping in the water to rescue two kegs. That's fucking madness. Right, uh, let's wrap this one up, man. Um, episode six in the bag. Thanks again, to everybody who listens. Uh, remember, share the episodes. Uh, We've got the quiz. Right, we've got the quiz coming up. December 23rd, doing a big uh, Christmas quiz on Facebook. Scott Gibson Comedy is the Facebook page. Kickoff 830 is a two-hour special uh, Christmas-themed quiz. We've been doing these quizzes now since April, all the way through lockdown. December 23rd is going to be a big Christmas special. Uh, hopefully try to do a bit of money, raising some money as well, because the tour manager has got to go into the vet's uh, to get an operation in his gum and to get his teeth out at the start of the year and it's going to cost a disgusting amount of money. So join in with the quiz uh, on the 23rd of December, live on Facebook and uh, should be a good laugh, we'll have some fun, we'll do a quiz, we'll do some Christmas stuff and uh, you'll also have a chance to help out uh, the wee man get his teeth done. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening. Please do share the show, like it, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes if you're interested in that kind of thing. And uh, I will speak to 
I'll speak to you all next week. Stay safe. Look after yourself. Find out what tier you're in. Don't be a dafty. Put a mask on. Wash your hands. And your arsehole. And for the love of God, hopefully I'll see you on the battlefield soon. Take care, team. Thanks for listening. Onwards. <laughs>